Friends, we need to recognize that we cannot do this ourselves. The light of the world must pierce our hearts and shine on us that we may love him instead of the darkness. It is only by his grace that we can follow him and deny the darkness and deny ourselves as he has called us to. You're listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. Today's message from Pastor Colt Hudson is part of our current sermon series through the Gospel of John. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. Truly so good to be back here with you today. Uh, If you will, go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to John chapter 8, verse 12, as we'll be looking today at a sermon titled, The Light of the World. Again, this is John chapter 8, verse 12, and we're continuing our series through the Gospel of John. Uh, But I, again, want to echo the sentiment that... uh, uh, Brandon Cook expressed this morning, we are very thankful for your prayers for us on the trip. Overall, it was a smooth trip. It was good, and uh, we were able to have gospel impact there in Montana. And so I'm thankful for your prayers. It was a profound experience for me. I mean, look at me. I'm wearing a bolo tie and boots this morning because, and the reason for that is maybe not what you'd expect. They, they were suggesting that we should wear our t-shirts this morning, and I said, if I preach in a t-shirt, Uh, We might be here two and a half hours. So uh, they suggested this instead. Uh, But seriously, the trip was awesome to be able to come alongside a church that is having such a a pronounced impact on their community and to be able to help them as they share the gospel with their community. It was great. And as you've seen in the videos, it was absolutely gorgeous. But the thing that was so striking about this trip for us and, and specifically about the area is the vast lostness. Just how lost the state of Montana, really the American West as a whole, is. Um, While we were there, Daryl was talking with us about uh, that lostness and how really it's considered a pre-Christian location because there's never been a great awakening out in the Rocky Mountains. For us, we were ooing and aahing over the natural beauty of God's creation. And what we found out was that the people there, they love the outdoors, they're politically conservative, but they are desperately lost, and you can tell. You can tell. When you're talking to the people, when you're reading the statistics, when you see things like an insane suicide rate, the lostness was evident. And for me, what was so difficult to wrap my mind around was so wild was to think that you can live in a place that is so beautiful and yet not see God's hand at work. The question that kept coming to my mind was how they can live in what's called the big sky country, the place that many in America call God's country, and still walk in darkness. For those of us who were there, it was daylight till 10 o'clock. There's plenty of light. But the people there are living in spiritual darkness, just as who all who don't follow Jesus do. Anyone who is not believing in Christ is living in spiritual darkness. In our text today, it talks about light and it talks about darkness. And this is something that John would continually bring up in all of his writings. Apart from Jesus, we are all in spiritual darkness. But again, John uses this many times. Remember back in John 1, verse 5, where it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Or a few verses later, in verses 9 through 13, where it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, 
nor of the will of man, but of God. So we know from what we've already discussed in this study through the Gospel of John is that Jesus is the light that came into the world. The world did not receive him, and thus the world is in darkness. Thus the world is a dark place. Only those who believe in him by his grace are saved and not in darkness. And today we're going to see one of Jesus' most famous statements. We're going to see and examine the light of the world and what it means for us to follow him. So let us turn our attention to John chapter 8, verse 12. I'll be reading from the ESV. You follow along in your translation. Verse 12, it says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I just want to read it one more time. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's have a word of prayer before we continue this morning. Dear God in heaven, we come before you today, and Lord, we come once again praising you. Lord, thanking you. Lord, we have sang your glory this morning. Father, we pray that now we would not be distracted. Lord, we would not be diverted from our focus on you and your word, and Lord, what it is that you want us to do. So, Father, today we pray that you would convict us, that you would equip us, that you would prepare us for all the tasks that you have ahead of us. Father, we pray that you would help us to know you as the light. Father, we pray that you would help us as we walk into a world that is full of darkness. And, Father, we pray again that you would help us to be people who send the gospel light. Lord, we pray together this morning that this time would be honoring and glorifying to you. Father, I pray that you'd move me out of the way and just use me as a mouthpiece to proclaim your message to your people. Father, speak to us through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so we pick up today, where we, uh, right after where we left off, week before last. The immediate context with which we're going to concern ourselves this morning is that of the Feast of Tabernacles. For the last several weeks, everything we've been looking at in the Gospel of John has been taking place during the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, it began back with Jesus' own brothers who didn't believe in him, telling him that he needed to go up and make a public spectacle of himself at the feast because everyone was there. Y'all remember that? He goes up to this feast, and there's a lot of teaching that occurs in there, but the most uh, probably profound and interesting thing that happened was him talking about the living water. Right? That's something that sticks out to us. But everything we've been looking at has happened in this feast, and it's been very specifically done. Jesus was doing everything he was doing intentionally. Every word was intentional, and it was all related to the ceremony that the Jews were talking about at the Feast of Tabernacles. He was teaching them through that. And what we'll remember is that this feast was a feast of remembrance. It was about remembering how God had provided for the Israelites in the wilderness. Really, the story of Exodus... If we go back to it and we look at the wandering around in the wilderness, all of that is a story of God's mercy and of God's provision. God was merciful for allowing them to enter the promised land at all after their sin, after failing to do what he had told them to do. And he was gracious also for providing for the people every step of the way. And these people were people who complained. Remember, they complained about not having any water, and God provided water from the rock. 
This was a big part of the Feast of Tabernacles. This is what we talked about uh, when Jesus, again, was talking about being living water, the ceremony that went on there. He also provided them with manna. Right? He provided them with food. But God also led them, and he tabernacled with them. The Feast of Tabernacles remembers and celebrates not just one part of that, but all of it. Today's verse, it comes right on the heels of the Feast of Tabernacles. And again, we saw how Jesus used that ceremony with the water pouring to teach them that he was living water. And today we're going to see him do something similar again. And what I want to do is just break this verse down into three parts and show you again three things today. The first one is who he is. Who he is, the light of the world. Jesus' statement here, he begins by saying, I am the light of the world. And it is a huge, powerful statement. Because in those seven words, Jesus has pointed to the fact that he is God twice. As with all of the I am statements of Jesus that we find in the Gospel of John, this points back to Exodus. You remember that when Moses was speaking with God in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So when Jesus is making this statement and he uses that specific phrase, this was not something to be taken lightly. Rather, the specific usage that Jesus is using here points back to the fact that he and the Father are one. It points to the fact that he is the Messiah. And as we'll see next week, this fires the Jews up once again. But the second part of his statement is also quite powerful, and it points to his deity as well. He says, I am the light of the world. Now, John was captivated by this. Again, we see it come up in his writings again and again. We saw it at the beginning of the Gospel of John. We see it in his epistles. We see it in Revelation. But for instance, uh, 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You see, for John, and in John's mind, there is absolutely no doubt about what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that he is God. He is the light. Now, the word for light here in the Greek is full of meaning. Not only does it mean literal light, but it also means understanding, and the ability to understand or reason something. Here, Jesus is using it as literal light, but we'll talk about the other usage a little bit later. Because Jesus is telling these Jews that he is the light, the same light that they followed back in the wilderness. You see, at the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jews were remembering God's provision in the wilderness. Right? They were remembering the fact that God led them through the wilderness. But how did God lead the people in the wilderness? Y'all, we do the Bible trivia thing on here in our countdown video. So just in your mind, I want to ask you, how did God lead the people in the wilderness? Well, we see the answer in Exodus 13, verses 21 through 22. It says, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. 
God led his people, again, with a pillar of smoke during the day, a pillar of fire by night. But specifically in there, it says that pillar of fire gave them light that they could travel whether it was day or night. And so what happened was for the Jews at the Feast of Tabernacles, they would celebrate this pillar of fire specifically. I spoke with you back, and if you didn't hear that sermon, you can go back and listen to it on the living water, about how they had this very ornate ceremony. How they would daily come into the temple and they would pour water during this ceremony. But each night, they would also perform a light ceremony. In the very court where Jesus was speaking, they would light four massive candelabras, these giant candles, and they would light up the Jerusalem night. F.F. Bruce, a, a famous commentator on the Gospel of John, he talks about how every courtyard in Jerusalem reflected light because these candles shot out light like a spotlight. If you were in Jerusalem, you couldn't miss it because they would light these massive, giant candles, and the light would just cover Jerusalem. And then, as the light is covering the city, every person in the temple, from the poorest to the richest, whether they were a king or a beggar, they would all dance around the light and they would sing songs of praise at the top of their lungs and they would praise God for leading them by the light. This is the backdrop. Right? This is the context for Jesus' statement. So he stands amongst the same courtroom where the candles would have been, and he declares, I am the light of the world. And so essentially what Jesus is saying here is, I am the one who leads the world. What a contrast. John MacArthur said that this is a, a statement here. It's very interesting. He says that Jesus is a unique and perfect light because he's not temporary or stationary like the candles, but he is a light that is never extinguished. The pillar of fire hadn't been there in a while. The candles were a, a one-time thing that happened at the Feast of Tabernacles. But when Christ says, I am the light of the world, it is a statement that has no end in sight. It's a statement that he eternally is leading the world. He is the light of the world and he has come to a world of darkness. You see, when we think about the beauty of Jesus and who he is and his holiness and his magnificence, what we find is that he is a contrast to the world. Again, MacArthur talked about this. He said, Christ alone brings the light of salvation to a sin-cursed world. To the darkness of falsehood, he's the light of truth. To the darkness of ignorance, he's the light of wisdom. To the darkness of sin, he is the light of holiness. To the darkness of sorrow, he is the light of joy. To the darkness of death, he is the light of life. You see, Jesus is a contrast to the dark world. And many of us have no problem recognizing the darkness of the world, but yet we fail to recognize the light of the world. We are fallen and sinful, but he is the Holy One who came to save us from that sin. 
If you were to turn back in Luke 2, what you see is that when Jesus was still yet an infant, Simeon called him a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. It's Luke 2.32. Jesus came as a light of revelation. He, he is here to reveal God and to reveal God's plan to us. He both shows us our hope of salvation in the cross and he secured our hope of salvation on the cross, taking the punishment we deserved for our sins. But his being the light didn't stop there. Again, I told you John captivated by this. In Revelation, John describes the new heavens and the new earth, and notice how he describes it in Revelation 21, 23. He says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The Lamb, Jesus Christ, is the Lamb, and he is the light of the world. When we think about the darkness and the sinfulness and the fallenness and and all of those things that it's easy to get caught up on when we turn on the news or when we look around us, when we see all that darkness, we should turn and direct our focus to the light. Everything in us wants to stay in the darkness. And this is so counterintuitive. You know, it's, it's always in the movies when someone is about to go, they say, don't go to the light. And that statement seems to suggest that they should rather instead stay in darkness. Friends, our only hope is to run to the light. The light of the world is different from the darkness. The only hope we have. And so we see that Jesus is making a clear statement that he is a holy God, not like the darkness of the world. He's making the statement that he is the one who is leading in the path of holiness, who is leading in the way that we should go. So we see who he is, but secondly today I want to show you what we are called to do, and that is following the light What we are called to do is follow the light. This understanding of Jesus as the light, as a holy and powerful God, it changes everything. It shapes and it molds our life. But Jesus didn't stop there. He also calls us to do something. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the idea here that Jesus is getting across to the Jews is that they should follow him. Just like the Jews in the wilderness followed that pillar of of fire from God, so too now they should follow him. But he also tells them what the alternative is. If you don't, you will be walking in darkness. You'll be left in darkness. Now, we need to contextualize here a minute. There's not a lot of places we can go and experience true darkness around us, right? I'm talking about physically. To have been left in darkness out in the wilderness with no light and no direction was a death sentence. In those days, it was hopeless. And, and we know from our own experience that if you're trying to walk in darkness, it is very difficult. Usually we hit every obstacle, we'll fall, we'll hurt ourselves, we have no idea where we're going. Just this last week, there have been attempts to rescue some Mexican miners that are trapped. 
And the Mexican army divers have been trying to get them out. But literally, as they are diving down in there, they say it's so dark that even with our lights, we can't make heads or tails out of what we're finding or where we're going. And the same thing is true for us. Without the light of the world, the light of life, we cannot see where we are going, even with our own abilities. Whatever light we have, it cannot pierce the darkness. Only the light of the world Jesus Christ can do that. We cannot save ourselves. We need him. We need his light. And the only way that we have that is by believing and trusting in him. It's by submitting ourselves to him and his leadership and his lordship. We are to follow him as though our lives depend on it because they do. And the word here is akalutheo. It's to follow This does not just mean the simple following Jesus around to see what they can see. Plenty of people did that throughout Scripture. There are tons of people who followed Jesus around to see what he was doing and where he was going and what he was going to be up to and if they could get any sort of blessing out of it. But that's not what we're talking about here. Instead, what we see is that this means to follow him in submission to him. It means that we say, wherever he leads, I'll go. How many times have we sang that in the past? Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so wherever he leads, I'll go. And many of us, we claim to follow Christ, but we fail to recognize that there is a cost. And when that happens, when it gets a little bit difficult, whenever he leads us into a place in which we are a little bit uncomfy, that goes out the window. The Bible tells us that his yoke is light, that it's a joy to follow Christ, but it also tells us that there is a cost. In Matthew 8, Jesus tells people, they say, we'll follow you anywhere. Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't have a place to lay my head. There is a cost to discipleship. There is a cost to following Christ, and that cost is that we have to leave the darkness behind. The Bible tells us that men love the darkness. People, we love the darkness, and it's hard for us to let it go. But the darkness cannot exist in the presence of the light. And sadly, so many of us are unwilling to leave the darkness and follow the light. Consider the rich young ruler. Luke 18, 22 and 23 says, When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. You see, the rich young ruler was unable to part with his love of darkness to follow the light. But Jesus does not want halfway followers. He wants us to follow him. And the people who saw the rich young ruler and they saw this conversation that Jesus had with him, they said, who can be saved? Jesus said, on your own, it is impossible What's impossible with man is possible for God. Friends, we need to recognize that we cannot do this ourselves. The light of the world must pierce our hearts and shine on us that we may love him instead of the darkness. It is only by his grace that we can follow him and deny the darkness and deny ourselves as he has called us to. We must remember that famous verse where Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 
We are called to follow him radically. Wherever he calls us, whatever he calls us to. And we truly must be willing to follow him wherever he leads and do whatever he tells us. Again, someone once told a pastor after a sermon it was too hard and too burdensome and that they made it just seem like it was difficult to follow Christ. The pastor responded and said, following Christ is not burdensome, it is far easier than stumbling around in the dark. There's a cost. But compared to walking around in the dark and the hopelessness, we must follow the light. For if we do that, we will not walk in darkness, but we will have the light of life. So we've seen who he is, we've seen what we're called to do, but now I want to show you what that means going forward, and that is the light of life. What that means going forward, the light of life. When we follow Christ, we are no longer slaves to darkness, but now we have, again, the light of life. I told you earlier that light can also refer to our ability to understand, and here the light is referring to that type of illumination. Because we have Christ and the Holy Spirit has regenerated us, now we can see and understand the gospel and God's word as we should. We also have life that comes from the light of Christ. We have eternal life by virtue of trusting in Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone. We are no longer in darkness. See, this is what this means moving forward. Now that we have the light of life, we need to recognize that we are no longer citizens of the dark. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 says, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You see, the Bible tells us that we were once in darkness, that we were once of darkness. And in in that last one in Ephesians, it says you were darkness. That's who we once were, but now we are not of that. We are no longer there, but now we are children of light. We are light in the Lord, and we are to walk as such. And again, this means no longer walking in darkness. At the most basic level, people who have the light of life should avoid the darkness of death which they used to be in. We have escaped the darkness of death by God's grace. Don't go back. And again, if we want to go back to the context of Scripture, this was a challenge for the Israelites. God was leading them. He had taken them out of Egypt. He had shown them all kinds of miracles. But the moment that it got tough, they wanted to go back to Egypt because supposedly that was easier. Don't do that. Learn from their mistake. Follow Christ and trust that his plan is perfect, even if he is leading you to a land filled with giants. Follow him. Walk as children of the light. Too many people who claim to be children of the light continue to walk in darkness. Instead, we're called to walk in ways that reflect Christ's light to the world. We're called to reflect Christ's light to the world because in Matthew 5, Jesus will take this even a step further. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus says this. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus now tells his followers that they are the light of the world. Not that everyone should follow us, but that we should point them to him, reflecting his glory. We shine so as to reflect the glory of God. And Philippians echoes this. This is something I... I shared with the mission team earlier this week in a devotion. Uh, Philippians 2, 14 through 16 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We are to shine as lights in a dark generation we're to live lives that reflect God's glory to those around us one commentator on this uh, Philippians verse he identified all the things that light can do it can make things clear it can guide it can warn and it can bring joy right the light reveals the truth we can navigate by the stars we see warning lights we turn around We hang Christmas lights, for instance, as decoration. As believers, we too have a calling to make God's word clear. We should guide people by pointing them to Christ. We should warn them of the eternal punishment that awaits them if they do not trust Christ. And we should be people who bring joy to those around us as we reflect the joy of the Lord. We have the light. And we should live like it. I'll make a confession. As a child, I was afraid of the dark. Shocker, I know, right? But what helps? The tiniest little nightlight in the world makes a difference. As people who have the light, we no longer have to live in fear of the dark. But rather, we should boldly go out and shine. Even the the kids in the little nursery rhyme, they have it, right? As for me and this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm not going to hide it under a bush or let anyone blow it out because they can't. And this light is actually not very little. It is powerful and it is beautiful and it is life-changing because it is the light of the world. It is Jesus Christ. And so today I just want to end by asking you a few questions. Do you know the light of the world? Can you see your hand in front of your face? Are you walking in darkness or do you know the light? Are you following him or are you stumbling through life again, following the darkness, lost and hopeless in it? And church, if we do know him today, are we walking as a child of the light by shining as a light to the world? Who he is demands that we follow him and that we reflect his glory to the world. So may we know 
and follow him well. If you're not following him today, I encourage you to do so. May we know and follow him well and may we reflect his light and his glory to Gadsden and the ends of the earth. Let's go in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you today. Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the truth of it and what it tells us, Lord, that you did not leave us in darkness. So, Father, today I I pray that if there are those here today who are lost in that darkness, that, Lord, you, again, would shine through it, pierce their heart. Shine on them and call them into relationship with you. And, Father, I pray for those of us who have experienced that, who have the light of life, that, Lord, we would walk as such, not as citizens of the dark, but, Lord, living in light of your light. Help us that your will may be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. We would love for you to join us on campus for worship Sunday mornings at 1045. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week.